If you don't know where that is, find Matthew and just turn back a couple of pages. You've got to love all those minor prophet books, right? And, uh, the pastor tells you to open one of those and you, you've been going to church for 40 years and you just turn to the concordance and you don't even try. So, uh, but um, Malachi 3, when I was a kid they used to say, turn to the book of Hezekiah in a sword drill and Hezekiah is not in the Bible. So kids would be looking for 20 minutes and then before you know the class is over. That was what the teachers would use if they hadn't prepared a lesson. So, uh, uh, but uh, Malachi chapter 3 and we're going to continue our series this evening on theology, the doctrine of God the Father. And I've got a good one for you here this evening, excited about it. Malachi 3, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And we'll be looking at verses 6 and 7 to begin with here. The Bible says, Therefore I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Tonight we're going to look at uh, this topic, a God who never changes. A God who never changes. Or another title, God never, never changes. What's that mean for me? Let's pray. Lord, uh, tonight, would you renew our strength and our energy? Uh, Lord, many people in here are weary, some from doing your work here at the church, teaching Sunday school, driving a bus, working a bus route as a captain, um, uh, counting the offering prior to church, choir practice, playing the piano. Lord, many folks have worked hard today so that we could have church. And Lord, I pray today that you'd settle our spirit And help us to get something from the Bible that will positively affect us for change. And Lord, not only to make us better people for ourselves, but better people for those that that, uh, interact with us on a daily basis and a regular basis. So, Lord, tonight I ask that you fill me with your power. May your word be preached uh, in a way that will glorify and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well... I'm going to say, if there's one thing in life that we can count on, it's change. Right? Change is certain, and change is imminent, and change is waiting around the corner for all of us. In some way, somehow, on a regular basis. Some changes are little, some changes are big. Some changes go unnoticed, some changes uh, you you absolutely can't miss. Where we live oftentimes changes. You're renting, then you buy or you sell and you you rent. Uh, Maybe you pick up and move to another part of the country, as many folks in this church have done over the last several years. Uh, And i got to tell you that uh, the temptation to move out of the state as the taxes keep climbing continues to increase. But I'm going to ask ask you that you try not to do that. Uh, uh, Continue to, to, to remain around here if you can. But where we live changes. What What we do changes. Fashions change. Fashions change. Uh, you know, I look back at the 90s at what people wore and even what I wore. And I, back in the 90s, I thought that it looked good. And now I look back and say that didn't look good. Um, and then the, the early 2000s, and I thought back then, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's great, you know. And, and, and now I look back and say, what were we thinking? And then I look back in the 1970s and I say it was obvious people were high on something. Um, that's very obvious. 
uh, based on the color of the carpet, everything was psychedelic. I, it was uh, out there, right? Uh, but uh, things, fashions change uh, regularly. Some of those fashions are laughable. Other of those fashions just go along with uh, the trend. There are changes at work, changes with supervisors and bosses and entry-level employees and uh, uh, philosophy, maybe mission statements. Maybe your organization gets bought, bought up by another organization and then people are fired and other people are brought in to replace and you're mishmashing two companies together and you're having a, a lot of change. There are changes at church. A little over two years ago, there was a change in the pastorate position and there's been a lot of transition uh, that went along with that. Every year we change our theme. This year's theme is back to the basics. Next year's theme is come back in January and I'll tell you what next year's theme is. Uh, but uh, we already got it picked and the artwork's uh, in, the, in, in on order and, and, and coming in. But uh, we're excited about next year. But change comes on a regular basis. We'll add Sunday school classes or subtract Sunday school classes. We'll, uh, we'll, um, uh, we'll add bus routes or take away bus routes. We'll uh, uh, di- uh, uh, different things change. And, and, and a growing church, please hear me, hear me on this, a growing church is always in transition. Always in transition. But change at church. Uh, there are changes in the way that we look. There are changes in how much we weigh. There are changes to our health. There are changes to the size of our family, whether people are added or subtracted. Tragically, uh, there is there there are changes to our perspectives. How many of you like were like me that when you were 20, 21, 22, you you had an opinion, a strong opinion on everything. And now that you've gotten 10, 15, 20, 30 years removed from being 22, you look back and, and say, all I was back then was a parrot. And I really had no idea what I was talking about back then. How many of you were that way? And there have been big changes in your opinions since you were 19, 20, 21, 22. Changes in perspective. What happens is life happens. And as life happens, we begin to see things a little bit differently and from a different angle. Look, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll tread lightly here, but it's easy to have a firm opinion on immigration in America until you see people that are starving to death and struggling. And then all of a sudden the issue becomes a little bit more of, of, a, of an emotional battle. There is the facts of it, there are the feelings of it, and there is the struggle oftentimes between the two. And that is one example that we could pick of all kinds of topics that as time goes about, our perspectives, our paradigm shifts, and we have a change in those areas. How about this one? Our opinions change. Uh, there are changes that are wanted. There are changes that are absolutely despised and hated. Changes bring about uncertainty, and uncertainty is a scary thing. Uncertainty is a scary thing. Um, I hate uncertainty. Hate it. But I have learned that during those times of uncertainty in my life is when the preaching on faith has become practiced faith. And the faith is this great theory that we read about in the Bible and talk about in church. But until you are put through a time of uncertainty, faith is just that, it's theory. And God will grow your faith because of change. Now, generally, uh, the way it breaks down uh, about... About 60% of people resist change of all sorts. 
And 40% love. I mean, they love change. So let me ask you tonight, how many of you here love? Doesn't matter what kind of change it is, you just love change. Would you raise your hand? You love change. Hold them up, hold them high. You get excited about it, you don't mind it, put your hands down. How many of you here are on the other end of that? You really don't like change. Would you hold your hand up for me? You really don't like it. It bugs you, it bothers you. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, it, it, you know, it could be that ShopRite and Stop and Shop are right across the street, and Stop and Shop is half the price of ShopRite, but because you know the way ShopRite's laid out, you're going to ShopRite, right? You're not going to change grocery stores either. Um, and change, you hate change. Um, I probably fall more into the, uh, more into the middle on that. I, I don't hate change, but I can see it's important. Now, here's the other thing I'll quickly say about change is that change requires adaptation. Change requires adaptation. Some people adapt quickly to change. Other people, uh, take a while to adjust to change. And then there are people who just push it away and resist it and will not accept change. And I gotta tell you, if you fall into that camp, be careful because change is inevitable. Change is everywhere. Not only are you changing, but everybody in your life is constantly changing. And with all of these moving parts, you better learn how to adapt. You better learn the art of being flexible. Let me just add to that here and say this. God wants us to change. He wants us to change. You say, well, I don't like change. Well, God has commanded you to change. Because you're born a corrupt sinner. And you're going to spend the rest of your life, if you don't change, you're going to spend the rest of your life living corrupt in your sin. And God has not called you to live in the old man. He's called you to put on the new man. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3 with me, if you will, quickly. Colossians chapter 3. And you find Paul talking to a couple of different churches along this line here, talking about the importance of change and that if you don't embrace change, boy, you're going to get left behind. If you don't embrace change, you're going to have the Holy Spirit kicking you on the inside saying, hey, it's time to, uh, to get going here. It's time to pick it up and, and start uh, changing for the better. Look at Ch- Colossians chapter 3, verse number 9. The Bible says, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. That requires change. Verse 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The whole process of being sanctified or leaving the old life behind and embracing a new life in Christ. And that doesn't matter if you got saved as a child or as an adult. Uh, we are all commanded to walk this road of spiritual betterment or spiritual change. And so um, uh, if one thing is certain is that we have been commanded to change. But the study isn't about us tonight, it's about God. So let me just uh, ask this of of the church, or uh, see if you can finish this quote. Ready? If it ain't broke, God isn't broke. God's perfect. You don't take a perfect system that's working and change it. No, you, you change systems that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Sometimes those changes are difficult. Sometimes those changes are uh, not desirable. But you, you don't fix something if it isn't broken. God is the epitome of fixed. With God, there is no reason for him to ever change anything. Um, we have studied and preached the last several Sunday evenings about God the Father. And we have talked about how impressive our God is. 
We've talked about how that he is omnipotent or all powerful. We've talked about how that he is omniscient or that how, how that he knows everything. Last week, we looked at the power of his precious name. We talked about how that just at the very name of Jesus, people gather, people pray, people are saved just at his name. Uh, we looked at all kinds of things last week about the name of God and how powerful his name is. This week, we will preach about our God who never changes. He is the epitome of stubborn, but stubborn in all the right ways. He is the constant in a world that lacks consistency. When everything around us is changing, we can count on him to never change. I want you to imagine in your mind's eye that you're standing in a room where everything is moving around. Everything is moving. And uh, it's spinning, just like you're dizzy, except you're not dizzy. The room is dizzy and everything is spinning. And you get to pick one item in the room that doesn't spin. You know what you'd probably pick? The floor. The floor. Let the walls spin as fast as they want. You can close your eyes if the floor's not spinning and you will be just fine. But if the floor you're standing on is spinning, oh boy, you're in trouble. I am thankful that spiritually my feet are planted on the rock of God and He never moves, He never changes, and this is something that offers great hope and a calm assurance that the world may spin around us, people may spin around us, but God never changes. Tonight we're going to look at four characteristics that describe our God that never changes. I've got no subpoints this evening, just four straight thoughts. Let's jump in here. Notice His character Never changes. His character never changes. I hope you held your spot and in uh, Malachi 3. Flip back over there quickly if you didn't. And let's look at verse 6 down through verse number 10. And notice how that uh, these Israelites, boy, they were doing, doing a lot of changing. But God, He wasn't changing. And that worked out in the benefit of the Israelites. Look back at verse number 6. For I am the Lord... I change not. Notice the next word. Therefore. Okay, he's building on top of this thought that he never changes. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Can I just put that in a plain English for us? If it wasn't for the fact that God never changed, you all would be dead. You all have blown it. And if it wasn't for the fact that God is, his character is flawless and that his mercy is everlasting... It'd be over for you guys. That's how bad you've been behaving. Look at verse 7. Even from the days of your father, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. Even this whole nation, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that uh, there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall be room enough to receive it. How bad was it in Israel? It had gotten so bad that these people had quit paying the, the nationwide tax otherwise known as the tithe, and they would use that tithe there in Israel to pay off, uh, uh, or rather to run the country both politically and spiritually, and people were not uh, uh, paying this tithe, and they were robbing 
God. It was as though they were putting a pistol to the head of God and saying, give me all your money. And they were behaving in such a manner. And, and, and here uh, Malachi is preaching to them and telling them the reason why God has not destroyed you and utterly put you out is because he promised your forefathers way back in the day that he wouldn't do it. And God is a God of high character. He keeps his promises even to his own hurt. And I have to say, I'm so thankful for that. People that believe that you can lose your salvation, I would just say that if, if my salvation was left up to me and my salvation was left up to my behavior, I would have lost my salvation a long time ago. But my salvation is not left up to me. It's left on God's promise that he would save me and hold my salvation in his hand. And he never changes. His character is perfect. Numbers 23:19 says this. It says, God is not a man that he should lie. We talked about a couple of weeks ago that uh, that uh, let God be true and every man a liar. But God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall not uh, he not make it good? What he's saying here is that if God gives you his word, you can count on it that he's going to come through. There's no reason to question the promises of God. Not not a reason. There are promises that are unconditional. There are promises that are conditional. If you do your part, it is a guarantee you can take it to the bank that God's going to come through on it. Why? Because he doesn't change. And he always keeps his word every time you say, oh, well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Well, Titus chapter one, verse two tells us the exact same thing. It says this in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, cannot lie, promised before the world began. We have a God whose character is flawless. We have a God that always keeps his word. We have a God who never Changes, And I got to say, I am so grateful to God to know that while all the rest of the world can let me down, God will never let me down. God will never let me down. Isn't that something that you can be thankful for tonight? Amen. His character never changes. Number two, notice his counsels never change. His counsels never change. Take your Bible and turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 33 and verse 11. Psalm 33, 11. While you're turning there, I would like to read for you Hebrews 6, 17. It says this, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto, uh, unto the heir of, of promise, the immutability, that word immutability means God doesn't change, the immutability of his counsel, uh, confirmed it by an oath. So his counsels are immutable. His counsels Never change. Look at Psalm chapter 33 and verse 11. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. That word counsel there, it isn't really all that complicated. I, I got uh, studying for the sermon this week, looking at that word counsel in these verses. And I thought, I wonder if there isn't some deeper meaning under the word counsel here. And I, so I looked it up uh, in the original language, and here's what it means. It means advice. It means plan or purpose. Um, do you know that one of God's roles is to be a counselor to you? To counsel you? How quick we are to turn to humans for counsel. When he is the counselor. The Prince of Peace. 
I don't think the issue is that we don't have enough counsel. I believe the issue is that our ears are not tuned in to that counsel. And that we go to the wrong source for counsel. Somebody came to me for some advice recently. It was a very difficult situation. It was one of these situations where there was no Bible answer on what to do in this particular scenario. The counsel was, you need to pray about it. You need to pray about it. It was a life-altering change. And I spent quite a bit of time counseling this person on this topic. And um, the way I ended my advice was this. After hours of counseling this person, I said, you need to take the next 30 days and bathe this in prayer. And let God tell you what you should do through prayer. A few days later, this person came back to me and said, I know what I'm doing. And I said, what? This is a life-altering decision. How can you already know? And I said, did you pray about it? And the person said, well, yeah. And I said, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. And so I'm going to ask you the same question about the problems that you're going through. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Here's the question I asked this person. I said, have you talked to humans to get their counsel more than you've talked to God to get his counsel? And this person dropped their head and said, yes. And I said, well, who do you think has more wisdom? There is nothing wrong with you going to the pastor to get counsel, or a deacon to get counsel, or some seasoned Christian that's been saved a long time to get counsel. But you sure better spend more time in the presence of God getting his opinion than you do getting my opinion, or anybody else's opinion for that matter. You uh, have a problem and you hop on the phone and call your mom or your dad or uh, your brother or some friend of yours that pastors in some other state, or you come and call me. You call Brother Owens or Brother Okai or Brother Syrette, our deacon board, uh, and you're talking to all of these people more than you're talking to God? Listen, my counsels change because I'm flawed and my perspective isn't clear. Here's, here's really the reality of it. I want you to picture that the problem in front of you is this mountain, right? this proverbial mountain, okay? And you're looking at the mountain, and you can't see what's on the other side, and so you can't make the right decision for now, because the problem mountain is right in front of you. So you come to the pastor, and you say, hey pastor, I can't quite see this clearly, I want you to help me, and, and I say to you, okay, well, I've seen this situation before, and I have a different perspective on it, but let me be clear, God is the man on the top of the mountain, and He knows all, and He sees all, and He can give you advice that will never, ever change. Boy, the perspective I have, my advice might change. His advice will never change. His counsels never change. And i got to say, I am grateful that I can go to God in a hard time and I can ask Him what to do and I know for certain His advice will come out to be solid and correct every time. Can I tell you what the difficulty is with the counsel of God? It isn't whether it's accurate or not. The problem with God's counsel is trying to discern it. Is this my opinion? Is this my thought? Is this my desire? Or is this God 
using my desires to lead me to do the right thing. You say, well, pastor, how can I know? And, and each situation is different, but I would tell you in a broad sense, the best thing you can do is pray about it and pray about it and pray about it. And as you pray, pray a couple of things. Uh, don't try to back God in a corner with your prayers. Don't pray a prayer and say, Lord, I really want this uh, this job at this plant and uh, or at this other place. And, and, and Lord, you got to give it to me. I have to have it and I need to have it right now. Don't pray a prayer that gives God no outs, that backs God into a corner. No, my friend, you go to God and say, Lord, there's this job opportunity that's been offered. It, it is a better opportunity than where I'm at from what I can see. But Lord, you know the future and you know what's best. And so, Lord, if you want me to work there, do a couple of things for me. One, make it strong in my heart. And number two, uh, 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 open the doors and continue to open them as I walk through. And Lord, if you don't want me there, slam that door shut. And I will take that as a sign from you that that is not where you want me to go. But pray about it because we know that the counsels of God never change. How about Joshua chapter 9 verse 14? I'm sure everyone here remembers the story, right? The Israelites had marched into uh, the, the promised land. They walked around Jericho and, and the walls fell and they went in and they, 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 uh, they destroyed the armies. And God said, don't touch anything or rather don't take anything for you. This is the first fruits. It's mine. It's a tithe. Don't touch it. Well, Achan took stuff and hid it in his tent and then AI happened, right? I believe it was 38 men. Is that right? 38 men were killed. Mike Yankowski, did I get that right? 38? He's my walking Bible encyclopedia. All right. Uh, I want you to know that by the end of the service. Okay? Look it up. No, I'm teasing. Uh, but uh, several people died, and I don't mean to make light of that, because of Aiken's sin. And so uh, there was the repentance, and then they won, and then they conquered Ai, Ai, and they're beginning to march through. I believe next what happened was there was a band of kings that came together, and they were defeated uh, by, uh, by the Israeli army, and then Gibeon... The Gibeonites, they got smart and they said, oh boy, we're next. So what did they do? They took old moldy bread and they put it in a bag and they put on really old clothes, uh, holes in their shoes or or uh, their leather uh, uh, slippers, whatever they wore back then. And uh, they got uh, they got on horses that were frail and, and beat up and they made it appear as though they had been on a long journey when really they just lived across over the mountain and through the woods. Right? Over the valley and through the woods. And so they pull up and they say to Joshua, they say, we live a long ways from here and we don't want you to destroy us. We uh, come in peace. And so uh, look at, well, let me read for you, Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. It says, and the men took their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And so... He signs off on this agreement not to hurt them and then turns around a few miles later and there are the Gibeonites. They had been duped. They had been lied to. Now, here's the practicality of what I want you to see here out of this tonight. All right, we'll move on to number three. Here's the practicality of this. Something as simple as what is obvious still needed to be taken to the Lord for counsel. And had they gone, God would have revealed it. It doesn't matter how simple or obvious you think the decision is. You need to go to the Lord and you need to get his counsel in everything you do. Because his counsels never change. He is an immutable God. 
God never changes, Pastor. What's in it for me? Well, His character never changes, and you can bank on that. His counsels never change, and you can know that the advice He gives you is solid. Number three, and I'm excited about this one. Notice, His charity never changes. His charity never changes. Turn over to James chapter number 1 in your Bibles. James chapter number 1 and verse number 17. And uh, and this one here is really exciting for me. Um, uh, God is a God of charity. And, and the, the purity and the clarity of the King James Bible is amazing because every other version of the Bible, you don't find the word charity, you find the word love. I believe every other version. Uh, but the word charity is specifically chosen because you can love someone without uh, feeling pity toward them, but you can't have charity towards someone without pity. That word charity means to love someone with pity. And God looked down and He had pity on us and He loved us. And it is his nature to do so. Now look at James chapter 1, look at verse 17. It says there, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, that means there's no change, neither shadow of turning. The end of that verse, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, that's, that basically means that the love of God, the charity of God, the gifts of God are given without repentance. His charity, his charity. Um, who is the giver of good gifts and perfect gifts? God the Father. And I'm thankful for every gift that he gives me. My health, my family, my church. They're gifts from God. Um, there are days where I'm just a rotten person and I don't deserve God's love. He just keeps on loving me anyway. I like how uh, Paul put it in Romans chapter 8. Um, the next two passages we'll look at are in Romans. So if you turn over to Romans 8, I want you to see this. Romans 8 verse 35. You know, there's a lot of religions in the world that teaches that God will only love you if you behave. God will only, or God will love you more the better, uh, the better you do as a Christian. To the level of your purity with your walk with Christ, to that same level, God will love you. God will love you. And I have to tell you tonight that that's just not how it works. Can I tell you that if you quit church, go and get drunk, get high on drugs, run from God, He's going to love you just as much as if you stay away from all those things. We don't, we don't serve God because we need to earn His love. We serve God because His love never changes. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Can we just say that there's a lot of people that quit church because they go through tribulation? There's a lot of people that give up on God because God has allowed them to go through tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Do these things cause God to stop loving us? No. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. 
We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that love us. For I am persuaded that neither, and look, here's another list, death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. My friend, I'm here to tell you tonight that the love, the charity that God has for you, it will never, ever change. That ought to warm your heart tonight. That ought to bring you a calm assurance that, uh, that, that God will never stop loving you. I have seen friends who turn on each other and get nasty with each other and become mean to each other and begin acting unchristian. Uh, I had someone come to me once and say, I don't know what happened to my friend. And it was, uh, it was two girls in another church a long time ago. And she said, boy, we were friends when we went shopping and we were friends when we were teenagers and we talked about boys and we were friends when uh, uh, there, there were good times. But I started hitting this rough patch in my life and I noticed that this friend just fell by the wayside. All of a sudden was too busy for me. Boy, she found someone else to go shopping with. She found somebody else to go do something with. And, and when I needed her in, in a time of great despair, she was gone. And I can got to tell you, that's got to be tough. I have known children who have blamed themselves for years and decades and, and well into their, uh, uh, well into their fifties and sixties and said, my parents did not love me and it's my fault because I wasn't lovable. And they come up with a long list of things that they did or the way they were that was wrong. And they say, my parents abandoned me and it's my fault. And I'm here tonight to tell you that there is nothing you can do. There is no behavior you can give. There's no way you can look or act that would cause God to chop off His charity to you. His charity never changes. And I may stray away from God, but He never strays away from me. Now, in all fairness, the charity of God takes different forms, does it not? For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, even as a father, the son in whom He delighteth. The Hebrews version of that verse says that He scourges us. We call that tough love. Tough love. Where God is bringing down a hand of punishment on us. But even that's done out of love. Boy, I hate when God punishes me. But I'm glad that He's willing to do it. I'm glad that He's willing to do it because it means He loves me and He wants me to stay away from sin. His charity never changes. Number four, and lastly notice, His callings never change. His callings never change. Turn over to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. The Bible says, therefore, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The gifts and callings. Notice the, the, the word they're calling the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, I have been able to locate. For New Testament Christians, three callings uh, on on us as Christians. All right. First notice, and these won't be on the screen here, but just below that real quick. He has called you to salvation. He has called you to salvation. Luke 532 says, I came not. This is Jesus speaking. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is God doing? He's calling sinners to repentance. He's calling them to it. 
He's calling them and calling them. He's saying, hey, turn from your unbelief and believe on me. Turn from your unbelief and believe on me. And he'll send a soul winner along a path. He'll send a gospel tract in someone's hand. He'll send a, a Christian, uh, a gospel-based movie across the screen. Uh, he'll send uh, a YouTube video into someone's uh, onto someone's cell phone. He has ways of getting it out there. But God is constantly peppering people with a call to repentance. Why? Because His calling never changes. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 puts it this way. And for this cause, He he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that we were under uh, the, the first testament that we which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. If you're here tonight and you are a born again believer in Jesus Christ, God has called and you have answered that call to repentance. Aren't you glad you did? Amen. Amen. You guys are dead tonight. You got you got to wake up. Um, I'm up here preaching my heart out. I feel like you guys are sleeping on me. I'm just going to call all of you out right now. So wake up out there, okay? Um, God never changes. He never changes. And He will always call sinners to repentance. He always will. He always will. You say, well, when will God stop calling sinners to repentance? After the mark of the beast, in the middle of the tribulation, God will stop calling sinners to repentance. Because they will be... Owned by Satan at that point, and there will be those that are and aren't, and that'll be the end of it. But until that date, God is going to call sinners to repentance, and I got to say I'm thankful for that. Um, let me give you a, a second way God calls sinners, uh, or rather, uh, uh, let me give you a second calling here. He has called you to sanctification. First Peter chapter one verse fifteen says this: "But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of your lifestyle or conversation." Now, let me just address the word holy for a minute. That word holy is not some weird, fringe, Christian word. Being holy doesn't mean being a Christian nerd. Being holy doesn't mean you've got to walk around and act like you're weird. Being holy just means that you don't live, talk, act like the world. But you're becoming more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. That's what that means. And it's not okay to choose a form of Christianity that just makes you feel good. You need to choose a form of Christianity that challenges you to be more like Jesus. You know what that word sanctification means? It means to be given a spiritual bath. Be given a spiritual bath. It also means that you are setting aside the things that shouldn't be in your life and constantly grafting in the things that do belong in your life. Now, notice here that we don't turn away from the old to put on the new so that we can be smug against those that still have on the old. That is being a Pharisee. We put on the new so that we can more accurately and adequately walk Holy with our God and represent the change that's in our heart and life. He's calling you to sanctification. Don't miss this right here. He's calling you to be a better version of yourself. And not just a better version of yourself. He's calling you to be more like Jesus Christ. It's not our job to compare ourselves amongst each other. Brother Bob Nastasia over here, he's been saved for a long, long, long time. 
It's not fair for you to compare yourself to him or him to compare himself to you. We all have to walk our own Christian life. We all have to work at it on our own. And the measure of success in the Christian life isn't how my brother or sister in Christ is doing. It isn't even how the world is doing or acting. It's where am I today? Where was I yesterday? And where do I want to be tomorrow? Oh, to be like the uh, blessed Redeemer. That's the goal. It's to be sanctified. And you may be here tonight, and it may be that you have been stuck in the same place as a Christian for decades. And you're not growing. You're not really shrinking much. But you're not growing. And you say, well, Pastor, is God still calling me to sanctification? And the answer is a resounding yes. He wants you to be a better version of yourself. He wants you to be more like Jesus Christ. And the question isn't, is he calling? The question is, are you answering that call? We read in Romans 11 where it says the callings of God, the calling of God is without repentance. Let me give you one more calling here quickly. He has called you to service. He has called you to service. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. This will be the last verse tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And look with me at verse number 9. All three elements, being called to salvation, called to sanctification, and called to service, are found in this verse. Look here. Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling? So he's called us to salvation, and he's called us to live holy. Look here. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world Began. What is God calling you to do? Let's make it specific. Do you know that when I was a junior in Bible college, I answered God's call to be a pastor? God made it abundantly clear to me He wanted me to be a senior pastor in the U.S. of A. as a junior in high school. And every step I have taken since that day has been aimed at doing and being who I am today. But do you know that I can answer the calling of God of my life in a broad sense, in a macro sense, and wake up tomorrow and not do God's calling on my life? To the Sunday school teachers here this evening, if God has called you to be a Sunday school teacher, that's great. You're not doing your part week after week to reach the people in your class and love on them and and build your class, not just numerically, but spiritually, and and be for them the the under-shepherd of the under-shepherd that God wants you to be and do. My friend, you are not living out the calling of God. Let me speak even more specific to the choir tonight. If you have answered the call to be in the choir and you believe God wants you to be in the choir and to sing uh, for His praise and His glory, it's not just enough to be in the choir. Boy, you're in practice. You give it your all. You practice your heart out. You let Pastor Mike know that you're behind him and you support him and you want to sing to God's glory behind his leadership. You don't give him a hard time. You don't talk while uh, he's trying to get things accomplished. That's just putting it on the bottom shelf for you this evening. You you surrender and you want to help Pastor David with driving a bus. Boy, drive that bus not to Pastor David's glory, not to my glory. You drive it to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and you do it with all your heart. And you better know that God can count on you because you're going to be there. You surrender to work in the nursery. You volunteer to work in the nursery. It ought not be that Miss Cheryl gets a text from you every time that it's your turn five minutes before church. Oh, I can't be there. Something came up. No, no, no. You're going to work the nursery. You give it your all. 
Because that's the calling of God on your life. And you give it your all. If you're a Sunday school teacher or in any form, you stand up with a Bible and you teach or you preach, you better make sure that you are studied and prepared. You know the book, you know the lesson, and you are going to give them the Word of God in a way that matters, that makes a difference. I've got to say tonight that not every sermon I preach is a home run. But I can promise you this, I have never stood behind this pulpit unprepared. I have prepared and prepared and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I'm not saying this for my glory. I'm saying this to set the example. Don't you uh, study your Sunday school lesson ten minutes before class starts. While you're riding on your way to church. Figuring out what you're going to teach or what you're going to say. No, no, no. You pray and prepare and you give it your all for the glory of God. Why? Because His calling on your life is without repentance. And once He's called you to do His purpose... Boy, you learn what that is, and you give it all of your heart. All of your heart. You know what? If your ministry that you work with is a mediocre ministry, that's because there is mediocre effort. Mediocre effort. That also means there's mediocre prayer. That also means that there's mediocre passion. You give it your all. And you do it, not for the glory of White Oak Baptist Church or Pastor Lejeune. You do it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because one day you're going to give an account to Him. His callings never change. Can I tell you something about God? If He's calling you, He's never going to stop calling you. Life is a lot easier lived when you lay your will down and say, Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. You can be stubborn and run from God and you'll regret it. You'll hate it. As He's calling you, you do it. There may be someone here tonight, you, you've just been stubborn and you've not gotten saved yet. You've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Everybody here thinks you have. Because you come to church, you've been coming to church a long time. And you look the part, dress the part, talk the part, act the part. But deep down inside, you know that you haven't answered that call. God is going to keep calling your repentance until you answer. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Some of you here tonight, God is calling you to sanctification, but just to be flat honest, you're not answering the call. I can tell you this, He's never going to stop calling you. The Holy Spirit's going to keep pricking you on the inside of your heart to change. Some of you here tonight, God's calling you to get involved in a ministry. You're sitting on the sidelines. It's time to get up off uh, the sidelines and get involved serving the Lord with your life and your ministry. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can point out that don't work well around here. There are a lot of ministries here that uh, are not totally fully functional. And, and there is plenty of room to sit around and nitpick and complain. Uh, it's easy to go home and say, Pastor Lejeune's grammar was off. Or his outline wasn't just right. Or the way he preaches gets on my nerves. Or the way that nursery's ran. I'll tell you, Miss Cheryl, if she just do a better job. Or uh, the way that bus ministry works. Pastor David, if you just knew more about mechanics, you could have that bus up and running. There's plenty of room to sit around and complain and criticize. It may be that God wants you to be part of the solution instead of part of the complaining. And tonight, if God's calling you, let's get up and do it. Let's do it to the glory of God. And let's give it our all. And why don't God, the church, if we'll take this and we'll run with it, and we'll understand that God's never going to change, but we need to change to be part of His purpose. Boy, God can do a great thing in us and through us. So let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. We serve an immutable God. He never changes. He never changes. We change, sometimes for the bad, but God wants us to change for the good. 
And God wants us to find His purpose in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, tonight would You help us to take the sermon to heart. We praise You that You never change. Your love for us never changes. Your character is impeccable and perfect, and that never changes. You are the rock beneath our feet when all the rest of the change around us is happening. And Lord, most importantly, your calling doesn't change. And Lord, I don't know what calling it is for the individual here tonight as far as an area of service. But Lord, as you call us to do your work, may we not give it a half-hearted effort. May we do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in an effort to love you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. The piano is playing. The altar is open. How about it tonight, Christian? Are you giving back to God what he's asking of you? Or are you giving a lackluster, half-hearted effort? Maybe tonight what you needed to hear was that God's love for you doesn't change. No matter what, he loves you unconditionally. He doesn't need you to behave a certain way to love you. He just loves you. Maybe tonight you've been confused about God's character. Maybe you've not understand, understood that His counsels are perfect. But let's give God our heart tonight.